This is the Relevant Podcast. It's the week of August 21st, 2020, and it's the Relevant Podcast. Here in Orlando, I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and joining me from Loverland, Virginia, it's Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. From Austin, Texas, it's author and podcaster, Jamie Ivey. Hey, guys. And from Nashville, Tennessee, artist and producer and entrepreneur, mogul, Derek Miner. Hello, Clarice. <laughs> Derek, oh, gosh. Derek is eating cereal as we talk right now. So, um, Well, we have a great show coming up for you today. Coming up later, uh, we talk to... Uh, church movement, Nashville church movement, worship band, the Belonging Co. Uh, they're coming up. We talked to them about worship in the pandemic. Kind of a unique situation going on. And also, we're joined by author Sam Collier, author and pastor, I should say. Um, he has a crazy story you will not want to miss. Uh, there's some underlying message of relying on God's providence and dark moments, but wait till you hear his story. Let's just say it involves the Steve Harvey show. Uh, okay. So last week we took so much time at the beginning of the show before, you know, we had to cut a segment later. So I'm not even gonna let that happen. We are for the first time ever. No banter. We're going straight to it. It is time for. It's the hardest, the hardest. It's this time for uh, our senior editor, Tyler Huckabee, to join us to bring us some of the top stories over at RelevantMagazine.com. Hey, Tyler. Hey, everybody. So what's going on this week? Well, the first thing I want to talk about is sort of a, uh, it's not a, it's not a lightning flash news story, but it's something that's been sort of rising uh, over the last few decades, actually, and over the past just couple of weeks now has become a, uh, a much louder movement that I would be interested to hear y'all's thoughts on. And this is the movement to get the Southern Baptist Convention to change its name. So let me give you just a little bit of background here. So, so we're all on the same page. Is it going to be like um, an not, action verb, like edgy, like, like momentum conference? Yeah. 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 Forward to change, you, yeah. you know, the, the, something that we yeah. can come up, we can do it, but connect, no now connect a spiritually motivated community. Now meeting in your strip mall movie theater. I mean, I'm not so Jay, but you know what I'm saying? You're driving around town and you're like, Oh, what, what, what is this? Is this a new like technology store? Is this some sort of, well, what is this? And you're like, oh, it's just a, just a new kind of hip church that are using like real estate signs to promote themselves on Sunday morning. I, say, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. But every time I'm fooled, I'm like, ooh, a new, uh, a, a, a new like uh, cool brand cool is coming to death. Yeah, I mean, this is very cool branding. It's life with an up arrow. What is this service they're offering? Whoa. All right, so SBC, the, the very uncool yeah. SBC. Yeah, so so SBC, uh, this isn't exactly a uh, this isn't just uh, just a cancel culture run amok. The the SBC's origin story actually pretty ugly. It was created in 1845 as the pro slavery reaction to the Northern Baptists. The Northern Baptists <laughs> were part of the abolitionist movement in the U.S. They wanted to outlaw slavery. The SBC wanted Hold to on. keep slavery. I'm sorry, bro. <laughs> hey, man, you're telling me. <laughs> this I just, it literally just hit me, bro. You telling me, bro, that this fuck it started a whole religion, like a whole they split um, over slaves, like I, over. I, I knew that, yeah. but that's just crazy to think that it was mm-hmm. that core 
to their yeah. perspective. <laughs> they just like, look, I ain't worshiping with y'all no more. We keeping these Negroes. Like, we got to have yeah. these slaves. Well, it was it's very, our God-given right. It was very explicit. And you would think, like, when you when you think about it, when you hear the name Southern Baptist, you're like, yeah, anything that has the name South in, in America, you want to be a little, like, that goes, like, you want to look into why it's called that. And in this case, it is kind of what you think. Uh, before the 18, before 1845, um, black people, including slaves, were usually allowed to attend Baptist churches but they were rarely allowed to preach and membership was controlled by the white men in charge. After the Nat Turner Slave Rebellion, Baptists forbid black leadership outright and black congregations were not allowed to meet without a white pastor leading or at least present as like a babysitter. Um, but as the abolitionist mm. movement gained steam, uh, it divided the Baptist church, uh, really owing to the, the force and work of many black Christians who championed their rights in the North and convinced the Northern Baptists to to separate the Southern Baptists finally made their split official when the convention at large refused to recognize their appointment of a prominent Georgia slaveholder as a missionary. So ever since then, there have been these occasional sort of movements like, isn't it kind of weird that we still call ourselves Southern Baptists now? But none of them have really gained a lot of steam. In 2005, a few different proposals were introduced to the SBC to rename it either the North American Baptist Convention or the Scriptural Baptist Convention, Scriptural Baptist, you could keep the SBC, Scriptural Baptist mm. Convention. Voters did not approve of either name. In 2012, voters did approve the name Great Commission Baptists, which mm. SBC churches can now voluntarily use, but the legal name is still Southern Baptist. So if you're SBC and you don't like the word Southern in it, you can use Great Commission Baptist with the blessing of the convention at large, but that's not the actual official name of the denomination. But now, more members and leaders are rethinking the value of the name. And now a prominent historian within the SBC, a guy named Nathan Finn, has come out with an essay on why he believes it's time to change the name. You can be directed to it over at relevantmagazine.com. Uh, but he has a lot of points. And it's not all just based on the historical context around. There's also the fact that it's weird to have a nationwide, really at this point, global church called the Southern Baptist Convention, which is not limited to the South in any meaningful sense anymore. But of course, the the roots of the movement are the the biggest and most troubling part of it. So that's the that's the movement around it, which is a lot bigger than just kind of a this isn't just a cancel culture thing. This has been happening for a long time. And do they have any suggestions that might happen? Great Commission Baptist appears to be kind of the favorite people like Great Commission Baptist. It's not edgy enough. We need we need we need more action in it yeah, we, we need, need more forefront forefront a new inspired community <laughs> what yeah. about what about what about the we're not racist anymore baptist <laughs> yeah, i don't think they would go for that <laughs> that would have to that would have to be accurate <laughs> yeah. would have to be true oh, so this is did you did you cover this on daily Re- relevant daily i did yes okay yes. so i'm a faithful listener to your show tyler there oh, you go that's on, on we're grateful for every listener um, Yes, yes. But I you listed out some of his points that he gave uh-huh. and they are very, very valid. And they're not just points of, OK, so they have, you know, apologized for what happened. What in 1995 or something uh, like that? I believe, yeah, 95 was the year the SBC formally, formally apologized exactly. for so that, 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 100 years. Yeah, it took a while. <laughs> like, took a while. So that happened. And so that's even one good reason. But he had a lot of just even like logistical good reasons. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. why do we have churches in Canada that are part of the Southern Baptist Southern Convention? Man. So mm-hmm. I think that he had some really great 
logistical reasons as well. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of reasons here. There's there's one very glaring one, obviously, one very right, big one. The but there's one. also but there's also just like you said, like practical reasons that yeah. it no longer makes sense. It, unless unless it's qualifying like a type of food, like southern fried, you know, flounder sure. or something like that. Sure. Southern's usually a red flag when it's in a name. And listen, <laughs> I was born in I was born in Norfolk and I live in Virginia. So I'm saying that as like I'm not saying that as someone like looking down on the South. I'm just saying, yeah, it's probably a good idea to go ahead and change that change that name yeah, yeah. I've, so that's the that's the part that's part of the move there's no uh, there's no petition or anything to sign yet it, it, and it seems like <laughs> I, it, like they, if their their impulse was scriptural baptist uh church like i love even that the sbcc finds ways to throw shade at other baptists like oh you, are you part of the baptist church or are you part of the scriptural baptist it's cool whatever i'm just i'm just wondering if you're part of the scriptural baptist church yeah <laughs> Um, I also want to talk about, and this is something, uh, this is something pretty serious and, and pretty startling, actually. Uh, and I do want to put a little bit of a, a little bit of a content qualifier around this, uh, because the, we are going to talk about, um, about self harm and depression. I know that can be sort of difficult for some people to hear about. Um, but as the, as the death toll of COVID-19 in the U.S. hits 170,000 with few signs of slowing, it's easy to stay focused on that, on the death toll and the sickness and obviously the economic fall. Out. But there is one new study that shows the toll of this is taking on all of ours, not just people who catch COVID-19, but all of our mental and emotional well-being. Shocking new study shows that young Americans are taking this particularly hard. One in four young adults, according to the CDC, young adult here is between the ages of 18 and 24. One in four have contemplated suicide in the last month because of the pandemic, according mm. to the CDC. Um, which is that's 25% according to this survey. And it's not just young adults either. Uh, 22% of essential workers say they've considered suicide in the last 30 days, uh, that, along with 31% of unpaid caregivers. Uh, so people who are looking after someone in their home uh, have all, say they're also considering self-harm. Uh, black and Hispanic respondents are also reporting suicidal ideation above normal levels. So really, really bleak. Uh, the Obviously, America struggles with suicide suicide rates anyway. We have unusually high rates of suicide in this country that have only been going up, but the pandemic has dramatically increased those high above normal levels, and there's really no signs of, of slowing down. Uh, 31% of respondents here say they reported feelings of anxiety or depression brought on by the pandemic, so they don't consider themselves anxious or depressed usually, but they do now, and about 13% have reported turning to alcohol or drugs to <clears throat> cope with some of the stress of this pandemic so really stark study and and it's kind of difficult to know what to do with any of this it's but it's very very sad and concerning obviously about the future yeah it, I, this is uh, i think a moment you know i was talking to somebody the other day about you, you I, I i'm hesitant said like oh on the on the, the bright side of this thing because look this is a, a pandemic that's killed hundreds of thousands of people around the world. And so I, I don't want to frame it in those terms, but I do think we're going to come out of this uh, with the ability to talk about mental health in new ways. Mm. Like, I feel like it's sort of in a way forced, not forced, but, but it's put the conversation more at the forefront because I think for a lot of people who, who may not have had 
you know, struggles with mental health or emotional health, uh, it, it, I feel like it, it, it may at least give those people a deeper understanding and sort of emotional appreciation for what for for what that's like. And, you know, if, if there is hopefully some, you know, something positive that at least comes out of this, it's that it makes conversations about mental health and isolation and anxiety and depression normalized so that, you know, people have an outlet sure. to discuss it without having to turn inward or, or turn to, you know, self-medicating or, or, or worst case scenario, self-harm. Yeah. Yeah. I um, saw this, this study as well, Tyler. And, you know, I think September is actually National Suicide Prevention Awareness mm -hmm. Month. And so it's going to be a conversation that a lot of people are having. I recently heard an interview with Dr. Anita Phillips. She's yeah. a mental health professional, really, really wise woman. And she was talking about how this, you know, this pandemic, coronavirus, how it has brought trauma into a lot of people's lives that didn't have a word for it, actually. Like, oh, this is traumatic that everyone's going through. It feels like, oh, my, I'm not going through trauma. I haven't gotten COVID. Nobody in my family has. We both have our jobs. But everything has changed. Everything has changed in our country. Like nothing is the same as it was, you know, in February. And that brings trauma on people. And so people who already have a tendency maybe to struggle with mental health, this is just like layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. So it is a conversation that's worth having. And I think about too, like my kids just went back to school this week. And it's all online. And so, mm. although, you know, we live in Texas, so they're going to football practice every day. Don't worry about that. But we're <laughs> online school. And even that trauma for young people like my high school boys who aren't having this interaction in classroom. And it's just everyone's dealing with so much weight that they might not have normally known how mm -hmm. to name it even. Mm -hmm. And so, man, I know you all would say this, too, but I just want everyone to know. Like, it's okay if you need to go see a therapist, um, a counselor. Like, I know on the pod, on the relevant page, y'all have, like, hotline for suicide prevention, all this stuff. Like, we need to be telling people about that. It's so important. I broke down and had a therapist. I had to get one. Because yeah. <clears throat> I've, yeah. always, I've always somewhat wrestled with uh, depression and PTSD, but I never really, really addressed it. I was too busy. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? I'm I'm on the road. I'm traveling, and then also the the big thing is when you start to when you go see when you start to slow down, you have to look at your thoughts. Like you have yeah. to you have to be with your thoughts. And that first, especially the first two months, were crazy because mm -hmm. I had never had that much open time to sit with my thoughts to wrestle with you know you know the the highs and lows of life and you know, for me being a, I take a lot of pride in being a provider for my family. So, you know, not touring and all those different things. I had to wrestle through self-worth and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, I just, I had a breakdown and my mom had to come help with the kids and I had to go see a therapist, but guess what? Everything is okay. We're yeah. fine. Yeah. Like, and, 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 and I think that that's what happens with the stigma of, having therapy or being honest about your mental state. Like you can't go forward if you're not honest with yourself about your mental yeah. state and it's okay to get help. Everybody needs help. We all need help. Yep. Like sometimes our friends are a therapist or our pastors are a therapist, but we all need a place to be able to, to, to lay our burdens and feel and not feel judged. I think Christians especially think that, you know, Jesus is just going to magically whisk away 
our our cares or we feel guilty for even having those cares like Mm -hmm. man i'm not being a good christian because i'm burdened and it's like the Lord never said that you wouldn't be burdened. He just said you could cast your burdens on him. So anybody that's struggling, it's okay. Look, I'm telling y'all, look, I'm on the other side of getting some therapy. And you know, and 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 it's okay. I'm I'm still here. I'm normal. Like, hey God, you wouldn't have known if I wouldn't have told you. You know what I'm saying? So it, yeah. it's okay, guys. It's 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 good. It's and really I think it's good. also, you know, you, the person listening to this, you, you're going through about three or four global crises right now. Man. And, that's, yeah. and it, it'd be weird if you didn't need a little bit of help yeah. with all of this yeah. right now. Like, I, yeah. I don't think any of us are doing well. And that's under, and you're, so you're not distressed. You're not, you're not failing. You're not falling apart. You are enduring a really traumatic era, an unusually traumatic era. And you should be asking for help with that. Derek has, I have, uh, and, and I think yeah. more of us, if we're going to get through this, which fingers crossed, it's not going to be because we all toughened up and then put on our big boy and big right. girl pants and got out there. It's going to be because we took this seriously and went to people who had the resources to help us get through that and uh and like jamie said we do have uh links to some of those resources on the site right now i'd encourage you to take them up on it therapy is great you you talk about your problems for like an hour i have a counselor that i might see like maybe once a year you know during covid i think i've met with her four times i'm like Mm, okay just everyone's going through traumatic things right now it doesn't matter who you are and the other thing too i mean it's this is also another opportunity to try different sort of like self-care practices you know like Mm. uh, there's been so many people i talk to like i know for me i've like rediscovered just going for a walk like literally like before before (laughs) quarantine it'd be like wait so i just leave the house and start walking (laughs) but where's the destination you know but like but now it's like hey in the you know sometimes early in the morning or in the evening or whatever it's like Oh, you know, because I mean, obviously we're limited in the places yeah. we can go and the things that we can do. And you, you realize like there's, I remember talking, uh, uh, and Tyler, I think you may have interviewed him recently, but like, um, John Eldridge about the, you know, he writes about just the power of a 15 minute walk. This was pre COVID. Um, but just how, you know, he had kind of discovered, did something that basic that really is like just little things that you can do in addition to, you know, seeing a counselor and, 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 you know, um, you know, these kind of different self-care practices, there are different things you can just incorporate into your day too, that I think um, this, this kind of unfortunate season we're in has at least allowed some of us to kind of rediscover. Do you know what's dope? Meditation is freaking dope. <laughs> like yeah. anybody that okay, if, if ta- you've ne- talk go- about that because I have a couple of friends who said they've started meditating and they have they seem lighter. Yes. So talk to me about what you mean when you say meditation because like growing up in the church is kind of like okay you should do your morning quiet time devotionals yeah. prayer worship. 10, 30 minutes, whatever. Is that what you mean by meditation? Or is there some sort of weird Eastern tantric thing that you're doing? <laughs> no, not at all. So, um, you know, first off, the script, first off, again, like we talked, the Bible is an Eastern book. So those practices, people meditated in the Bible. Like, let's just make that clear. The Bible even literally tells you to meditate on scripture, right? So, Meditation in itself is nothing wrong with that at all. So I think one big issue for Christians is we feel like we understand the tools that the Bible have given us has given us more than we do. And I had to come to grips with the fact, you know, maybe my quiet time isn't as rich 
as it could be. So I had a friend, uh, actually prop actually told me, he said, Hey, you should check out the calm app. And oh, I yeah. down, I downloaded that the calm app and yeah. literally every, they ask you, what are your goals? Uh, stress relief. And I had, there's like eight, eight different goals. And I just highlighted all of them. Cause I'm all of that. So, <laughs> and they, they put together a plan and I'm not getting paid for this, but they put together a plan and you know, you could say daily midday or, or nightly routine. So if you're having trouble sleeping, there's a nightly one. Uh, if there's a morning one, you know, and you want to get your day started. So, and me being a person that I, I, I'm all, I'm only self-reflective when I'm forced to be self-reflective. But what this has been, maybe ten minutes of quiet. They have little ocean noises in the background, and then there's a lady that just kind of coaches you through uh, your your thought process. So she, you know, she might say, "Hey, pay attention to your breathing. Close your eyes, breathe in, breathe out. Pay attention to your breathing, and just be, just be. And then maybe give you an encouraging word on conflict resolution or it's okay to let your brain rest and having those reminders of good things where it's like, yeah, your, your brain is a muscle. It should rest or Hey, let's like meditation is great because, you know, obviously when we sleep, everything's resting, but then also focused resting of the mind and saying, I'm focusing on clearing some junk out of my mind. That Mm -hmm. is what's made me feel so much light it lighter because it just reminds me like, okay, you know, if there's a conflict, I don't have to escalate. I can de-escalate that conflict, right? And uh, so that's what that's what it's been for me. And it hasn't so, been weird at all. So for you, previously, you mentioned like you were just busy, 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 busy. And it was almost like maybe your activity distracted yourself from self-reflection. Mm-hmm. And now you're having to slow down and deal with stuff that you didn't. And now you're actually going a step further to be intentional about mindfulness, yeah. which is really an interesting progression for somebody with your personality type. Yeah, even yeah. my Bible time was busyness. Like, that's the thing. Right. A lot of times our quiet times are not quiet. They're busyness. Right. It's, it's accomplishing something. I got to do I this I got to accomplish yep. this. Like, yep. not it's not inward focus on, let me focus on myself and being healthy. It's, all right, let me knock out this this John and I got to get something from God or let my prayer time, I got to I gotta call down the heavens or I got to, I gotta, you know, have this, this it's a doing thing. But meditation is more about what is your, what is your breathing like? What is your... What is your thoughts? What are your thoughts like? And then purging those things. And I think that it's it's been beneficial for me. Like I can definitely say that it's been beneficial for me. I need to try that because like for me, I it's you know, obviously we're all in the same boat where we can't do the same amount of busyness that we used to. But I find that I numb my mind by binge watching TV shows or just always having TV on or something. Like I'm rarely like intentionally quiet. Quiet. Mm-hmm. I fall asleep to the TV. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I just like, I'm just, and I don't know that I'm like trying to avoid anything. I think at this point it's just become habit, yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah. like, I, I like what you're saying. Like, I want to jump into that too. That sounds, sounds difficult, honestly, at first, but. It, you know, the first, the, my first meditation session, I asked myself, why have I not been doing this mm. every morning? Be, wow. Because it, 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 it was, I, I can't really explain it for me, but I, I guess it's the idea of I've never had a chance to really just listen to myself breathe for a second. Hmm. Like, and I think because it's that hustle in me, you know, every time, you know, you listen to my 
my intro, entrepreneur, rapper, mogul, wow, wow, wow. Like all of those things take so much effort. And I never really thought about myself. And then what happens is you create some self-destructive practices, right? When you never think about how to take care of yourself and self-care. So I'm trying to get better. I was, I, you know, you mentioned going on walks, Jesse. I like to do that. It's really calming for me to go out and walk or run. And normally it's a time where I'm like, how many podcasts can I get in? Like I can listen on speed and a half or two double speed. I'm just going to knock them out. I'm going to take in all the things. And I started, it's kind of like Derek, you found that. I found this app called pray as you go. And it is, Mm. it really is like, makes me kind of take those first 20 minutes of my walk. And it's like music and then scripture and then talking about praying. And it has helped me make those walks. Because before I'm like, okay, I'm going to go walk. I'm going to be in nature, but I'm going to be productive. Like Mm. how much can I get done on a walk? But now it's like, okay, I'm going to go on a walk and I'm actually going to like stop my brain from taking in podcasts. And I'm actually going to take a moment to rest with scripture. And so it's been really good for me too. The other day I was like driving somewhere. And when I got in the car, I was like on the phone. And then when the phone, so I didn't like turn on a podcast. With Usually it's the first thing I do. It's like, all right, what am I listening to? But just because I was on the phone and I like hung up and I literally just didn't think like, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be intentional right now and drive in silence. But I just forgot to turn anything on. And like, I don't know, 10 minutes down the road, I'm like, why is this so pleasant? And I was like, <laughs> I'm not, I, this is just silence. This is just like <laughs> feeling. Like, <laughs> remember when I didn't have a device that I could mm-hmm. wirelessly put into my ears that would inject sound into my brain all the time you know like oh this is kind of nice silence you know hmm. well there you go all right well that'll do it for it's the hardest, the hardest. It's for more stuff like that go check out what we're covering every day at relevantmagazine.com we, we, we put out a lot of content stay tuned up next it's the belonging code I am alive You're listening to Jack Garrett. The song is Return Them to the One. The word one is capitalized in the song title, so I'm assuming they mean Jesus. Well, today's show is brought to you by BetterHelp. Is something preventing you from being happy or achieving your goals or keeping you from experiencing peace? With the heaviness of all that's happening in our world right now, it can be difficult to find purpose and joy. And that's why there's BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You connect in a safe and private online environment. You can start communicating in under 24 hours and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. To top it all off, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. Financial aid is available and services are available for clients worldwide. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a relevant podcast listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com relevant. You can join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash relevant. Well, The Belonging Co. is a worship band based out of Nashville, Tennessee, with a mission to empower listeners through worship. Since 2014, the band has been uh, creating songs that inspire our generation to draw closer to Jesus. Our very own Tyler Huckabee sat down with worship leaders Natalie Grant, Andrew Holt, and senior pastor 
Henry Seeley to hear their hearts behind worship. Here's part of our conversation with The Belonging Co. Just for the past three weeks, actually, we've been live. But before that, we were recording worship separately. And, you know, it was like, God, we were having some of the most insane, amazing encounters with God in those moments when it was just us and the team, the yeah. camera crew, the guys on the media team, and walking away going, oh my gosh, like that was amazing. If we, yeah. you know, I really hope that translates. And it does. It's been, God's been so faithful. Um, and we've been reminded that God's presence is not confined to four walls. And, it's not confined to a building. It's actually just wherever we allow space for him to move. And so the, the testimonies we've gotten back of people having encounters in their house, um, around their TV, in their living room with their families, and, and even just the spontaneous moments that have come out for us as a team yeah. during worship have been so powerful. And I think there's something to be said of just allowing God space and also just saying, God, we're here to bless your heart, to worship you. There's no one else in the room at the moment. And someone might watch this in a month, but right now we're just going to bless your heart. And that's always going to translate, you know, always going to translate. We made yes. a joke at that one point, the audience of one, you know, yeah. like. I was like, I've always said, you know, that's such a clever thing to say yeah. until you actually are challenged to like prove that that's what you mean, that you're sincere about it. This has been like that opportunity, right? To be mm. audience of one. In a world living upside down, you turn it around the first three weeks four weeks into it you know i've got kids my husband we're all like standing up we're not going <laughs> to sit down we're like we're going to engage we're going to be in it and yeah. then because you think well this can't be going that long and then you're like six weeks in and you're like okay well we might just sit down and then <laughs> like 12 weeks in you're like got your popcorn <laughs> still in your pajamas <laughs> you're like okay we actually have to like challenge yeah, i have to challenge good. myself to stay engaged and then you realize okay we can do what we can do on the other side, right? To lead everyone, but it's still, everyone has to make a decision to engage. And, you know, as a church, I think that's even for me going, okay, how do we continue to encourage our people to engage? And they've been doing a really beautiful, powerful job. You know, I, I don't think we were created to live in isolation. I don't believe it's God's plan. In fact, you know, that was right back to the garden. If you want to take it, you know, back to the Bible, you know, when, when Adam and Eve had a moment where um, basically they opened the door to sin in their life, what it did was uh, essentially in them uh, awaken this thing that they uh, wanted to isolate from God because of shame. 
Uh, and I think, you know, for a lot of people, isolation, it, it brings out the worst of us. You know, when we've got nobody speaking encouragement into our lives and nobody, uh, you know, just getting around us and supporting and not that it's all about, you know, this, it's a two-way street. I think that's the beauty of it. And, and that's the beauty of, of the church is that when we come together, it's not just about, and it sh- hopefully shouldn't be about just listening to somebody on a stage, you know, with a microphone in their hand or watching some people on a, a stage sing some songs, but it's actually a two-way interaction of, you know, we're encouraging each other. Even I know, you know, as, as a, as a pastor, uh, preaching in my basement for a few <laughs> months to nobody, literally nobody in this room and just staring at a camera, there, there was an element to that that was almost soul destroying. <laughs> like I have to be really disciplined in my mind and my heart right now. But even just these last few weeks being back in a building and obviously our, our church is not open, but we've had just our staff there and some team, uh, you know, socially distancing and wearing masks and all that sort of stuff, doing the right thing. But just being uh, in, in community with people, even just a handful, what it does for you as a person, what, is it, what it does is for you as a, as a preacher, it just shifts some things in your life. And I think just even, uh, you know, being on your own, you, you can just so easily uh, just focus and fixate on your own problems, your own things, your own fears, uh, but being back with people, you know, even if it's not physically in a room, but just having those conversations. And this is, again, what we've encouraged our church to just be intentional about our interaction with people. That was The Belonging Co. Make sure to check out their new album wherever you get your music or find out more at thebelonging.co. I'm like a snail, you're a guy, kinda mad, I can't fly. Wanna stay, hide away, welcome out when it rains. Like a snail, you're a guy, kinda mad, I can't fly. Wanna stay, hide away, welcome out when it rains, when it rains. You're listening to Benet. The song is Snail. Okay, it's time for... Slices! What do you have, Jesse? All right, so <laughs> one thing that is... I, I feel like we're, we're approaching a point in kind of where we are with global quarantine or, or global quarantine measures um, where the, the content, uh, you know, uh, avalanche that we've all been kind of living under for a long time where new stuff is coming out all the all the time that is 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 going to soon be slowing down pretty dramatically because productions have shut down they're already you know delaying the release of movies but you know uh outlets like Hulu, Netflix and Amazon have shut down a lot of production so even though they've been releasing new content pretty consistently throughout quarantine that's soon, you know, kind of be coming to a close, or at least it's going to be a much more measured approach. And we probably won't get the big scale stuff. And so uh, Netflix, though, they're not giving up. They, uh, it's official. They have, have run out of ideas, apparently, because if they're not doing programming, they're just going to release features that no one ever wanted, no one asked for. And I have a very hard time seeing anyone use. Uh, you may see when you log into Netflix in the next couple of weeks, an op- a shuffle, uh, a shuffle button. Uh, 
So how it will work is you can choose from three different shuffles. It, you can have uh, it can either be shows and shows or movies similar to ones you previously watched uh, titles in a certain genre. So, you know, you can you can pick what your favorite genre or content that you, you'd already saved on my list. Again, this seems like the most useless feature imaginable. Like, I kind of like scrolling Netflix. I kind of like seeing what's going on. I couldn't think of anything worse than just hitting a button and something randomly starting to play that I didn't ask to view. (laughs) It reminds me, you guys, growing up, did you guys ever have like those big boom boxes in your room? Like, remember back Mm -hmm. in like Mm -hmm. the, 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 you know, it was like they would have like a giant CD changer on top. Okay, yep. <laughs> and <laughs> that he would put in. I can still hear the sound of like that cheap plastic, like moving, like moving as your CDs kind of spin. You know, like or a tray would come out and you would load your CDs up. And like those, the philosophy of those boombox makers was let's put as many buttons on here as possible, <laughs> like stuff that no one's going to use. Like a CD has ten songs on it. I don't need to hit shuffle. It's just going to shuffle the order of 10 songs. <laughs> just let the album play. Like, it's not like I got a, you know, a very deep well we're going to here. It, or I, I heard there was a, a comedian I heard do a, a bit about the old Discman. You know, it yeah. was the same way. It was just like random <laughs> buttons on there. It's like, what does the bass boost button do? Like, are you telling me like standard mode? They're not boosting the bass enough. I need its own I, bass boost needs its own button, you know, or like on those old boom boxes. You could it, it, mine it again. I'm assuming other people, they look like like the speakers on those things look like they were from like an alien ship from the future. And, and even if you had the lights off in your bedroom, it looked like a disco party going on because they would just like flash <laughs> random stuff up, you know? And like you, you had like a knob you could turn to be like, are you listening to disco music to rock music? And it would like alter the settings a little. I feel like Netflix has got to that mode where it's like, we don't know what else to do. So we're just going to start adding features. No one will ever use them, but at least we feel better about ourselves because we're adding something for you. Are they the ones that did where you could like log in and watch, like have a watch party? No, you can. Uh, so how does Wait, that you, work? You haven't heard about this? Am I breaking no. news to you, Jesse? Yes, Carey? bring it, bring it. Oh, well, now I'm backpedaling because I'm thinking, did I dream this or did it really happen? Like, I literally think that you could do like some kind of watch party and your friends could log in and join and y'all could somehow watch something together. Like, like, so basically kind of watching something on Zoom together. Mm. <laughs> right, which that sounds fun, right? Yeah. Um, no, I think this is true, you guys. Yes, Netflix Party is a new way to watch Netflix with your friends online. Netflix Party synchronizes video playback and adds group chat to your favorite Netflix shows. Oh, uh, that's, that's useful. I don't even lie. Yeah, but, that's okay, dope. so the so the the random player. So you're telling me I'm in my bed and I'm watching Blackish because I'm binging the show right now. Yeah, and it finishes an episode and it's going to put on like a it, random show it, when I want you, the next episode. Well, no, no. It's, so it's not going to do it automatically. You have to hit the shuffle button. Oh, okay, I got it. And, I got then, it. and then it'll just bring something else up in the queue. But so, again, like I understand that for like a playlist, right? If you're making, if you have like a big playlist of music and it's like, ah, I kind of want to mix up the order or hit shuffle. Yeah. Great. That, that, that's a logical use of an application like that. Right. But that, I don't want, I don't want them just to randomly start showing me something. Like I said, it's just, we ran out of ideas and they're in the old boom box model where we just start throwing random buttons on there and hopefully people <laughs> think there's more random weird things this this you know gigantic obnoxious boombox can do it must be worth more money i feel like that's where netflix is with the shuffle yeah, the hilarious. only time i've ever used the shuffle button on any device 
is on accident. <laughs> yeah. Like that, I'm really? not, I'm, yes, on, it's on accident. Like, man, I want to hear the album, how the artist, how the artist wanted it to be heard. You and like, I that's are exact me. opposites. Yeah, like literally every day, it. the way I listen to music is all these playlists and stuff. I hit shuffle every no, day. I, I don't want I've predictability. Cameron, what shuffle too sometimes? Cameron, what what was your what was your uh, take on the old bass boost buttons on old school nineties boomboxes? <laughs> like, oh, a button that will boost Dude, this bass. If you give me the opportunity to boost the bass, I'm boosting all the bass. <laughs> I'm on the EQ. I'm full smile mode full smile on the eq with uh, the bass boost so you don't put any I, mids you just cut all scoop all the mids i out? might do a w i might do a w depending on the style but loot i was the kid in high school like early 90s white suburban kid with the 15 inch kickers in my trunk and my 10 disc cd changer listening to like miami booty rap like I, like okay, with the bass cranked I, I need to throw something out there. The thing that I think will age the worst from from when we were growing up and, and something that I think will just baffle like yeah, Gen Z and below forever <laughs> is like, yeah, man, dude, I had a sweet, you know, especially ones that grew up with Spotify, right? It's like, yeah, I had a sweet setup. I had a 10 disc, I had a six disc changer in the trunk, you know, right, right there, just tucked away, totally sleep. It's you like, had a good changer CD player in the trunk. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, your trip. Dude, dude, I got this new album. You got to hear it. Hold on, let me pull over real quick to the rest stop, pop yep. the trunk, pop it in, and yep. then it's any, and like you avoid speed bumps. Dude, I got a six disc changer. You're going to scratch them all up. What are you doing? You can't hit a speed bump. Yeah. You have like shock absorbers on the, on the stereo. People are going to think like, this is the best that they could come up with back then. Like to put a CD changer in the trunk of a car. That 10 disc, that six disc was life changing. Cause I didn't, it's almost like you listen to vinyl now, which I'm really into vinyl. I mean, half a side, four songs in, you got to go flip it. You got to change it out. It's a lot of work. When they Mm. gave us 10, Back to back to back, or you could shuffle through them all. Come on. Well, and the other thing too is like, well, what happens if you want to carry around a lot of music? You know, it's like, oh, it's easy. I get this big trapper keeper thing with a zip up. <laughs> yeah, you know, I got like five hundred CDs the one. in there, dude. That's the it's one, like a bro. album. Yeah, I had I had multiple of those six hundred disc trapper keepers in my car, and I my car twice got broken into, and those all got stolen. Oh. My, my buddy, my buddy had his car stolen, and the the police eventually recovered it, and the 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 car thieves had taken his CD book, but accidentally left theirs. And they actually had pretty good taste in music for car thieves. And he's like, honestly, dude, honestly, it was like borrowing my car for a free music up for a music upgrade. And I feel like I got a pretty good deal here. And we rocked that music collection for a long time. Like it was only fair, you know. I feel like the yeah the Netflix shuffle button is the is the most random weird quarantine idea since Jesus talk. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, yeah. oh, that's a professional subway. The segue right there. All right, what do you have, Derek? So, my favorite rapper, uh, <laughs> favorite artist. I like the caveat every week. Every week I, is I the love caveat. This. I, I love it's this out man. of love. I'm bringing this out of love. Yeah. What. So he says, man, hold up. Matter of fact, I'm just going to read the, the tweet, man, because I don't want to butcher it. A vision just came to me. Mm. Jesus talk. I was watching TikTok with my daughter. And as a Christian father, I was disturbed by a lot of the content, but I completely love the technology. So this is my man. Kanye says he doesn't want TikTok. He wants Jesus. Talk. I'm just. 
I never in my life thought that Kanye West, my favorite rapper, was going to be a 2011 Christian rapper. Like, it's like, this is like the stuff that mm-hmm. we used to say, like, back, like, 10 years ago, which mm-hmm. is actually kind of, it's kind of, like, it's kind of dope in the sense of just the innocence of just, like, he has that. But I'm like, man, bro, ain't nobody going to watch Jesus talk, bro. It ain't going <laughs> to work, dog. Like, I know you... You the GOAT, bro. And if anybody can make it happen, you the GOAT. You probably could get a better day. It's not finna happen, big dog. Just. It's like back in the day, like they and YouTube broke out, so then they started GodTube. God or yeah. Netflix uh, broke out. They, uh, God they Netflix. Pure Flix. Oh, that's what it was? Okay. Like, we have to create our Christian bubble that's safe from the outside world, apparently. There's a whole stream of Christianity like that. You know, the sacred is scared of the secular. And obviously, okay. relevant... Okay. That's not our worldview. It's about to be in the world, but not of it, you know, but uh, okay. There you go. Here's what I think though about this. And again, I remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Kanye and I said, Hey, do you guys follow Kim Kardashian? And y'all were, and Cameron, you, you said this, you said, no, I would have people coming at me if I felt like. No, my, my purity filter would be purity triggered. Filter would <laughs> so here's my question. I follow Kim Kardashian mm-hmm. and I would not want my daughter or my sons to follow her. Okay, and so it all, and I, I'm sure Kim is a lovely, lovely, per, lovely person. Absolutely. But it always feels weird to me when when Kanye, in this particular instance, is like, "Hey, I was looking at TikTok, and there's some stuff on there that I don't want my daughter to see." And yet I, and I'm not, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus or bash anyone, but I feel like his wife also put stuff out on her social media that I don't want my kids to see either. So it feels a little weird. Does it feel weird? Do you guys know? I mean, I think that uh-huh. Jesse, you brought this up. I mean, brought up. I mean. He, in his own family, there's somebody who's been who's get, gotten famous based on the sexualization of her image, and yes, then he's going mean. this other way yes. of like being very conservative, and uh, and that tension is a real tension. And I, I mean, Derek, you you've talked about like I wonder what that tension is in their family dynamic as parents. Yeah, you know, yeah like, they might be fighting that tension at home. I mean, right. I, so I'm not like saying Kim is a bad person by any no. means. All I'm saying is the content she produces. It, it's it's very much what Kanye's saying. I don't want my kids to see. Right. It is an interesting thing that now it, it changes your perspective when you become a parent. Because he even yeah. said it as a Christian father, absolutely, yeah. like, absolutely. he didn't have a problem being on TikTok. But now I'm looking at it through the lens of what my kids are going to be exposed to. I mean, I'm yeah. I, I, my son's ten and he's on TikTok, but we chose to treat him very maturely and sit him down and talk about what's not good about TikTok and like kind of come up with an agreement together about him choosing. Cause we're not going to be able to like monitor him, look over his shoulder all the time, but that he'll make the choices of following the right kind of people or his friends and not looking at the discover page and things like that. And we're just trying to build that kind of like trust and conversation. Like let's bring it out to the light versus let me put limitations on you. And then you try to get around those limitations. Let's, try to build trust because I wasn't raised that way. I was raised no secular music. You can't do this. I mean, I just sneak out. I would just sneak the secular music. Yeah, and that's the problem with the the bubble perspective is oftentimes the bubble becomes as because the common denominator in the bubble and outside of the bubble is the part is the people. Right. Mm. So sometimes the Christian bubbles are more ratchet than outside of the bubble. Like, I remember, you know, at some of these strict churches growing up that people was like, they have like the little, you know, all right, it's Halloween night and uh, harvest, party. harvest party. Right. So yeah. we're going to have a lock in at the church. 
and this kid's having sex in, in the back room at the harvest party or whatever. So it's like <laughs> dressed up like Moses, probably dressed up like Bible characters. Dressed up like you know what I'm saying. Dressed up like there's something. Let's just say there's something extra sinful about uh, fornication <laughs> if both people are dressed as Bible characters. I mean, you know, I feel like, like you're really, I, feel like you're really pushing it there. Like, okay, yeah. okay, I understand everyone's got hormones going. But they dress like you, Jacob, but, Jacob and yeah, Rachel, but, 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 and they yeah. going, to, they going to work. So I'm like, that's the issue with the with the with the bubble thing is after a while, the common denominator is the people. So what's best is, in my mind, is rather than doing Jesus talk and then there's some dark thing happening on Jesus talk, talk somewhere, like we got to teach our kids how to how to be able to interact in a world that is relentless at stealing their purity. Like it's relentless yeah. at fighting well, to take that from them. You know, what invariably happens is obviously we need to be wise about what we allow ourselves to be exposed to. Human nature is going to go and kind of look for the thing. So I don't want, I don't want to make it easy for my son to find, you know, so we do have filters on his mm-hmm, internet browser mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. just w- wise stuff as a house we do. I mean, for me too, I'm not above temptation yeah. in that way. Mm-hmm. So like we do stuff like that, but he could, his friend has a phone that doesn't have the filter on it. So we need to talk about why not just the rule or whatever, but the why. And so that's what we're trying to do. And I just think like, you know, the, the, you look at like the Amish, they're so locked down. And then, you know, these kids grow up and then they go have a year of being crazy. Rum Springer or Rum whatever. Springer, yeah, and then yeah. it's like, that's not a healthy, balanced way to develop spiritual maturity and your own mor- moral standards and things like that. I mean, I think we need to, you know, teach our kids and teach ourselves how to be in the world, yet not of it. And like make wise decisions for ourselves and for themselves. And it's like, to me, it's not creating bubbles. You know, it's not being scared of the evil. It's like, well, let's talk about the evil. Let's talk about how we, how, what has Christ called us, how he's called us to live in this environment and what's right and what's wrong and why, you know, and, and or you wind up taking a drunk selfie of yourself with your pants unzipped. (laughs) <laughs> with thinking that you have black water, black water and then you call drunk, drunk to the uh to the dog on radio show and say you're gonna be a good boy in your apology. Like that's that's what the bubble gets you. Like yeah, it's true, but it's just that's what it you creates get. Pharisees is what it does. And so yeah. we yeah. we know Jesus is like, hey, I look at the heart, man looks at the outer actions. And so mm. as a parent, I want to raise kids who are gonna make mistakes, and I know they're gonna make mistakes, and we're gonna teach them about grace and how much God loves them in spite of that. And I don't want my kids to think, oh, I need to be perfect and. All those things. I mean, at the Ivy household, we're pretty slow with technology, really slow. Like my seventh grader just got a phone yesterday and y'all, well, my seventh grader just got a phone on Tuesday and I'm getting all the, right now my phone's blowing up with just like emojis coming at me from her. She's so excited, <laughs> but like, we just want to help them learn and we do it slower, but we're throwing them in too. It's hard. It's really hard to parent right now. And it's, I think with the techno- technological changes from when we were kids, like, they're exposed to easily exposed to so much that can grab them, grab their heart, like almost be oppression on their life. You know, if a kid gets exposed to pornography at 10, 12 years old, that could change his trajectory. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So as parents, you want to protect them from that. And I get where Kanye is coming from, mm-hmm. but 
<laughs> we yeah. gotta we gotta figure out that balance it's yeah. not a pendulum swing to the far extreme where you keep them in a bunker and don't let them get exposed to the world because they're gonna go crazy one day you know yeah. so like figuring that out and this i mean every year is a new challenge i mean like technology is changing it's a moving target to me it's about conversation to me it's about keeping these kids in good spiritual environments with good christian friends and good influences and trying to like you know, teach them the right way and model that for them, you know? Yeah. But I mean, I'm still, I'm still team Kanye. Thank you. Yo, look, Kanye, just let you know, bro. I'm still team Kanye. Just, I just I'm don't a, know if Jesus talk going to get it. it I, I'm going to put this out there. I'm going to put this out there. What's up? If he's willing to partner on Jesus talk, I'm down. I am in, I am in Kanye. And I'm not going to say I'm a big tech expert. The most highly advanced technical item in my house growing up was a boom box. that had a bass boost feature. But, <laughs> I'm but my thing is like Kanye, why don't you flood TikTok with Christian content? Wow. Like, that's so a good other, idea. other people could get exposed to that in that environment because they're yeah. not going to come to Jesus talk. Shouldn't yeah. we be putting Sunday services on TikTok? Shouldn't we be bringing, you know, the words of TikTok? I mean, that's my thing. Like when they created GodTube after YouTube was a hit, it's like, put this content on YouTube, man. For like sure. get it out there, you know, sure. anyway. Yeah, well, well the, the other thing, too, is, I mean, the, the, the rate of acceleration for technology always far exceeds the ability for technology to be self-regulated, right? Like, mm. so, I mean, technology is going to be just move faster. I mean, that's just how it is. But I do think, too, down the road, we'll probably see something equivalent to, like, what the MPAA does for movies or, you know, mm. it, that's not, it's not like a government organization, self-regulated. It's the Motion Picture Association of America that puts in some sort of rating system. So at least consumers, uh, in that case, most likely parents are well-informed. You saw the same shift in video games. It took a long time, but now when you go buy a video game, there's a rating on it. So at least there's some degree of awareness. And the app uh, store, the app store is the same way. Like yeah. I, Cohen's mm-hmm. account can't download apps that are above PG. You know, yeah. so. so 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 it's only about, I think, too, it's only a matter of time before some of these, uh, you know, major platforms yeah. adopt some sort of age regulation. I think I think getting smart with technology, too, and mm-hmm. as a consumer pushing brands to make features you actually want, not like a shuffle option on Netflix, but like <laughs> features that would actually be useful. Yeah, I feel like, you know, flex your consumer. You know, I, I would I think that's the other thing, too, is like, uh, you know, I think is consumer habits are what are what cause brands to self-regulate in the first place. If they mm-hmm. know that people are going to leave their platform because they don't want to uh, run into objectionable content, I think they'll find a solution that's better than branding and just throwing like Jesus in front of a talk. You know what I mean? Like at least mm-hmm. TikTok makes sense. I get it. It's quick, like a like ticking clock. Like I get it. TikTok, it's Nancy. Jesus talk doesn't even make any sense, Kanye. I feel like that. I feel like that wasn't a fully baked name. Like even if you want the religious TikTok, I feel like we could probably come up with with something more catchy than Jesus talk. I mean, there's there's a way that you can you can put like you said, consumers wanting to have a little bit more control of what what they're exposed to. Uh, with music, we're a very music heavy household. We're always playing music here. My son loves music, but we are an Apple Music family. And not Spotify, because Spotify has no ability to filter explicit content. Apple Music does. 
So I know that Cohen's in there listening to the new DaBaby single, but he's hearing the radio version. He's not hearing the Spotify version. Right. And, I, and for some yeah. reason, I, it's a little bit better for me as a parent, you know, but I don't even want to hear that stuff. So like, we're just playing music, whatever. I don't want to hear foul language while we're making dinner. So like, we're an Apple music family. So having choices as consumers, I think is a big thing too. What do you have, Jamie? Okay, speaking of Kanye, you know, is Kanye still running for president? I don't know, but um, we do know Actually, who yes. is. Actually, he is. Okay, well, we do know who is running for president. And right now, earlier in the week was the Democratic uh, Convention, National Convention. And next week is the Republican National Convention. And, you know, there was a poll that just recently came out that has talking about how are white evangelicals going to vote in November? And, you know, I think that we could all say that was a really big help in our current president winning in 2016 because Mm -hmm. it said that. I think 81% of white evangelicals voted for President Trump in 2016. But now we're seeing a little change. There's a new poll that just came out from Fox News, which this is what Tyler said in his little relevant daily that whatever you fall, Fox News, they do have a good polling um, department. So here we go. It says that it's showing that Joe Biden is capturing 28% of white evangelical vote. And that's a 12-point leap over what Hillary Clinton got in 2016. So when Clinton and Trump were running, Joe Biden already has a 12-point leap over where um, Hillary Clinton was in 2016. And that means a 60% vote for Trump, which is down where it was. So we still have a long way to go in our election and what is it, you know, August, we're not voting till November. But this poll is saying that it looks like there might be a higher percentage of white evangelicals voting uh, for Joe Biden this year than that voted for President Trump back in 2016. So I thought that was interesting. Like double, like double, the percentage is double, which is an interesting move. It wasn't that case when Obama was running. And it definitely wasn't that case when, you know, the last election. It so said, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah uh, when President Obama won in 2008, he got 26% of the um, white evangelical vote. And so it, it's it's very interesting. And I think we're going to see that that's going to be an interesting road up you, to November as well. You said it's 28% who says that they plan on, of white evangelicals, they plan on voting for Biden. Well, I think also what we also have to remember is just if someone plans on who they're going to vote and an actual vote, we're not always going to see the same thing, you know, and so the numbers can be a little bit not deceiving, but just can, you know, keep that in mind as well. But that's what a new recent poll just came out. When I saw that headline, uh, uh, you know, I saw it being shared and I thought, that's it. That means 70 for like what else does what else does, (laughs) does need to happen for there to be less, you know, a, a degree of disparagement between that, you know, where, where that voting block, you know, I, I thought at this point, it, it seems like because of a lot of things, but mainly because of some of the, the you know, the way that the discourse has become, I, I thought it would be a more even split. But um, no, dude, I, I, like I read a thing literally last night. I sent it to Tyler. Uh, I think it was New York Magazine did a follow up at Liberty about the Jerry Falwell, you know, being on indefinite hiatus. And and so they a reporter went to the campus and interviewed some students that were there. And they all to a T said, uh, all the ones that were interviewed said, we think it's a good thing. We, you know, I, the, the damage that was being done to this great university based on one man's actions is not something that I want reflective of my degree and whatever. So we support it. Then the reporter asked them about their political views, because obviously Jerry Falwell Jr. was very in the Trump camp. 
And every one of the students that were interviewed in this, in this piece said that they are very bothered by the actions of Donald Trump, but most likely when they vote in November will vote for him because of uh, life issues, because they, he's the only candidate that's anti-abortion. And so they feel like their hands are tied that I'm going to vote for life and I'm, but I have to thumb my, you know, I have to kind of hold my nose when I, when I make this vote. It, 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 and well, I would say that there's your 70, that out is of the exactly 72, what it would be. Yes. Out of the 72%. I mean, I would say that's the majority of them. I mean, there's probably a pretty small sliver that say they just drank the Kool-Aid and everything he does is, is God ordained. Mm-hmm. You know, there's mm-hmm. a very small yeah. sliver of that, mm-hmm. but it's I think most of the voting thing. block is the pro-life yeah, thing. Yeah. But, but, yeah. He, but a note of nuance there too. <clears throat> I mean, there, there was an interview going around recently, you know, Joe, Biden is a professing practicing Catholic and, mm-hmm. you know, and he has said on record that he is personally, like, he personally believes that life begins at conception, but he doesn't believe he, his personal uh, uh, opinion runs counter to what he believes the, the correct thing to do politically is, which is that it should, you know, uh, in his opinion, abortion should remain legal, even though he personally believes that life starts at conception, though, he, though he's personal pro-life, you know, from a, from a policy standpoint, he, 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 you know, it's against abortion regulation. Yeah. It's, a, it's a, just, just a degree of nuance. Not, not that, not, you know what I'm saying? Like it, what's yeah, interesting yeah. is like this happened, you know, in the Obama, the two elections with Obama, it seemed like in the, in the audience that relevant talked to, uh, more, uh, you know, younger Christians and things like that. It seemed like there was a lot of momentum, at least our vantage point based on anecdotal feedback and social sharing and engagement of content. It seemed like there was a groundswell of support for Obama in those elections among younger Christians. But the exit polls showed that like 83% of evangelicals and uh, voted for the Republican candidate and that the percentage was similar, if not even higher among Christian millennials. And it was because the younger generation of Christians is more pro-life than their parents. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're more morally conservative than their parents as far as it comes to life issues. And that when they got into the voting booth, while they agreed verbally and before the election, they agreed with Obama on a lot of issues that the exit polls said that when they got into the voting booth, they couldn't cross the lifeline and they voted Republican, which was which, shocking. It's but it but that you would get in there and go, okay, I have to stay true to what I believe to be my moral code is to be pro life. But I'm always having the conversation with people of I, I'm pro life, but I'm pro life in every area, not mm-hmm. just the unborn, which I think that's a conversation that more Christians need to be having yeah. is if I'm gonna be pro life for our people on on the border down here in Texas and Mexico, the immigrants, if I'm going to be pro-life for the women who are in the county jail here and they're in there for, you know, the smallest drug truck, I got to be pro-life for everybody yeah. or else I feel like you're just, you're just talking into the wind because you're going to make a decision based on just one, one thing. When we have all of these lives in America that I don't necessarily see our administration caring about as much as they should. I'll, I'll share a feedback that I received in 2008 from uh, mentor Rick Warren who's, you can't fault Rick Warren. I mentioned him on this podcast before. He, he said to me, we were talking about the definition of pro-life in 2008. And he, and I was like, I was like, it's like, we need to change the conversation to more holistically talk about it as life and human dignity. And if you were to talk about life, you need to talk about systemic poverty, preventable disease, unjust war and violence, 
uh, the climate. I mean, climate refugees, the poorest of the poor are the ones most affected and dying because of pollution uh, and also defensive innocence. So from the womb to trafficking to whatever, if you were to define pro-life biblical Jesus issues as, as those five buckets, four are on one side of the aisle and one is on the other side of the aisle. And so if you are a mindful Christian voter, you have to wrestle with that. I'm not saying where you land, you just have to wrestle with it. And it's like, and I kept saying, we need to like talk about like a holistic definition of pro-life and like Rick in his way of doing simple phrasing and acronyms go, yeah, it's not pro-life, it's whole life. And Christians should be whole life and stand up for life and human dignity. And that doesn't fall neatly in one party or the other. And if you think it does, you're naive. So we have to have this conversation as the church. And Mm. the other thing too, is, I mean, there, there's a, if you look at the issue of abortion specifically, you know, I I do think we we need to have a holistic view of of pro-life, but there's also, there, there's a lot of, of studies that I think people would find surprising when it comes to the correlation between access to abortion and then the actual abortion rate. Yeah. You know, just because you make something illegal or, or restrict people's legal access to it does not mean that they're, that they're not going to have access to it one way or the other. I mean, there are lots of substances in this country that uh, are, are regulated or, or made illegal well, a lot of people still find a way to use. And, you know, the, the, and I'm not saying, yeah, yeah. And and even, even like pot and stuff like that. I mean, it's legal some places, but in, in some places it's an extremely regulated substance. It's also found everywhere. And, and, and I'm, you know, I'll, people can develop their own ideas about what they feel like the best way to support kind of pro-life causes are, but there are correlations in the reduction of the abortion rate when you see access to um, some social programs, whether they be through, you know, there's some Nordic countries where when a mother gives birth, she is given like a large kit uh, of supplies of diapers. Like it actually converts into like a little, it's not like a crib. It's like a little sleeping box for the newborn. Um, there's also, you know, there's you, you, when you look at studies that look at, mandatory maternity leave and and social support systems so that actually uh you know re, you know having children or raising children uh there's there's like a, a that's if when that's highly valued in a society and there are programs to support uh you know mothers and young families there there's that that has a, an impact on the on something like the abortion rate too so if you're looking kind of objectively about numbers there's a lot of factors that often people don't necessarily take into consideration because they're so fixated on whether it should be legal or, or more highly regulated when there are also a lot of factors in the equation that can, can make a difference when you look at the overall abortion yeah. rate. Now, yeah. again, people can make their own decisions, but I do think there's a degree of nuance when you're actually looking at numbers and yeah. what, what, what happens around the world. You and know? that's where my frustration comes in with this conversation with religious uh, the religious right, because at the same time that you want to say I'm pro-life, but then, like I said, we just, oh my God, remember we just got out of protest about black people getting killed mm-hmm. and outside of the woman, it's like, oh, but, but that's different, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then at the same time, it's like, okay, well, let's just boil it down to the abortion issue, right? Um you're pro-life but then you're like yo but the government doesn't need to spend any money on mothers 
Mm. Right. So mm. they don't need to give mothers two weeks paid vacation when they have a when they have a child or give them, you know, give them maternity leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't we don't want to spend any money from the government to uh, to help people with prevention and things like that. So you can't have both. You can't mm-hmm. say I, I want to get rid of abortion. But then at the same time, I don't want to uplift mothers. Like it doesn't work that way. You got to pick one or the other. So, but they want to say, let's make abortion illegal and let's not give, most people are, they don't think about giving uh, mother support. And that's what bothers me because I'm like, well, then what, what winds up happening is, is that young 16, 17, eight year old, 18 year old girl that has that child, she winds up sticking a hanger up herself and, and and hurting herself. Mm-hmm. Or and mutilating a child, right? Yeah. Or or takes a bunch of drugs, and and the child may not even die, may come out mutilated or mm-hmm. these back alley abortions. Like when I started looking at, you know, because everyone is like everything's hyper feminism, and, and yeah, absolutely, I think we do have a hyper feminism movement. But when you start looking at some of the reasons, some of the issues that actually made people become pro choice, it was because women were actually. They were unsupported, and at the same time, they were actually dying at a really, really high rate mm-hmm. because of this issue. So it's like, okay, if you're going to be pro, if let, let's be pro life. But if you're going to be pro life, then you need to be pro government helping support women yeah. to be able to be able to have children and and also exist in this economy that yeah. you need both parents working, yeah. like. <laughs> Which I think, too, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I've read a study that there are actually fewer abortions done under when we have a Democratic administration because Mm. of the the more uh, opportunities that women have to get help that they might need um, to raise their child. You know, this is what the last thing I want to say about this is I interviewed a woman, Holly Hayes, and she said something I'll never, ever, ever forget. Mm. She um, has had. a handful of abortions. She said she was walking into the abortion clinic and there were just Christians picketing, yelling at her, calling her names, all the things, baby killer, everything. And she said this, she said, I had my abortion. I felt terrible. When I walked out the back door, there was nobody there to help me. So she's like, Christians, you're going to yell at me when I'm coming in, but I'm coming out and I've been through something traumatic and nobody cares. So it's like this whole issue of, we're just going to yell at you and tell you that you're awful. And here's where we stand. But yet no one was there to, no Christian was there to take care of this woman who needed help, so much help. So it was like this agenda that was just, we're just here at the clinic to scream and yell and make you feel bad. On your way out, we're done with you. We don't care about you anymore. That's not pro-life. That is not pro-life. That is not caring about that woman as much as you cared about what she was doing. So, Mm. All right. Well, that'll do it for Slices. Man, stay tuned. Up next, Sam Collier joins us. So today's episode is brought to you by Karis Bible College. Karis is all about focusing on educating the body of Christ about who God is and who he is in his saints. Karis Bible College equips saints for work of the ministry, training disciples to go out and share the gospel with the rest of the world in the way God has uniquely called each individual to do it. I got to talk with Karis's student life activities manager, Clay Caldwell, about what makes Karis a great option for students. And the first thing I wanted to ask him about is what sets Karis apart from other Bible colleges? Every class is designed around the Word of God being, you know, being the truth. And for me, it's just really finding out um, how much God loves you. And that truth will set you free from so many different things. And I, I think it's like the best foundation, no matter where you are in life, like with the transition, 
we have we have such a variety of students. We have uh, a pretty good 18 to 24 demographic of students that are kind of coming out of college or before they go to college, they come and uh, do a gap year or do all three years. And then we have a lot of retirees that are finishing up their careers and trying to figure out, you know, what, what does God want for me next? Obviously, a huge part of the college experience is the connections that you make there, the people, the friends that you make, and, and those friends who uh, uh, last with you your entire life. So I asked Clay about how those connections impact people who go to Karis and how they continue to see those shape their lives years down the road. One of the good things about social media right now is being able to connect with people that you know I went to school with and just still continuing. There's other, We have an alumni department that is kind of really trying to do the best to keep us connected in, in ministry and business. You know, I know a student recently lost his wife. And so the, the community has just really surrounded him, you know, and there's just, there's so many stories of that where you can just, and you can see it in our Facebook groups that are, you know, continuing after, um, after, after class is over, when you go into, when you finish Harris, move on and do whatever God's called you to do that next step, but seeing people come around in the good times and bad. What about people who, uh, who who hear this and they like the sound of what they like what they're hearing, but they're like, well, I don't really want to be a pastor. I don't feel a call to ministry. Does Karis still have something for them? Absolutely. Yes. I, I, you know, I said this for the first and second years, getting your foundation and your identity is just so key to, to do whatever you want to do. I'm just, I just see faces of Karis students that are, you know, that I've seen that come through and graduate and what they do now. It is a great place to come get your foundation to whatever it is that you want to do in life. We have a business school, media, we have a worship arts, a creative arts, which focuses on theater. Uh, we have a practical government. If you're interested in either just knowing more about how the, how the constitution works, or if you're interested in being in uh, the government and in that uh, uh, sphere of influence. The, again, you talked about this and asked me about how the friendship base. You, don't, you never know what divine connections that you're going to make. Coming out of the lifestyle that I lived before I came to Karis, it's opened up so many doors. Being here, getting the foundation here in Colorado, I mean, there's just so many opportunities for spiritual growth, and then it's just beautiful here. To learn more about Karis Bible College, head over to their website at karisbiblecollege.org. That's C-H-A-R-I-S biblecollege.org. karisbiblecollege.org. listening to Washed Out, the song is Time to Walk Away. Well, Sam Collier is a pastor, speaker, and writer. His first brush with the public actually came through the Steve Harvey show, where he and his twin sister were reunited to their birth mother on TV. It was one part of a long journey that included poverty, rejection, and longing, and it ultimately taught him to trust God's plan for his life. Our very own Tyler Huckabee recently sat down with Sam to talk more about it. Here is part of their conversation.
Okay, so why did you decide to write a greater story? What was the motivating factor? What's the story behind the greater story? For folks that don't know a little bit about the story, um, we were on the Steve Harvey show and reunited with our biological family for the first time after 25 years. And they lied to us on the show and I told us they didn't find anyone and um, said, we're just kidding, your mother's here, uh, me and my twin sister. And so we show that clip uh, in the speech at North Point and um, talk about just the grace of God and how he can take your mess and turn it into a miracle. You know, our story started in poverty and extre- extreme poverty and um, a little bit of uh, prostitution and uh, d- dad addicted to crack and, and drugs and um, left the picture. And then we get given up for adoption. My mother had three kids at age 21. Then she had five kids when she had me and my twin sister. And so she gave us up because she didn't have enough money to take care of the three. So anyway, um, that's, that, that's, that's kind of the story and how, you know, we kind of unpack that whole moment. This is obviously a super personal story for you and, and very difficult to tell. Uh, and it probably would be easier in some ways for you to, to just not tell it, uh, to not have to go through those old memories again. Why did you decide it was so important for people to hear about all of this? You know, you have your plans and then God has his, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, I never even thought that it would be a thing that turned into a thing until I told the story for the first time and people started telling me how blessed they were by it. And, you know, it's been six years since I was on the Steve Harvey show. Me and Steve connected about two months ago, again, over the book. And um, he said, you know, I'm going to buy 500 copies. You know, he was just, you know, which was, it was awesome to reconnect with him. But, um, you know, after people started responding to the story. Um, and after these five or six years and people still respond the same way to it, it doesn't matter who I send the story to or, or how long it goes, people cry every time they watch it. It's hard. It's still hard for me to watch kind of that moment. And I think the energy coming off of that and the hope that it provides that if God could do this for me, um, that he can do it for them in terms of just turning a mess into a miracle, the fact that he can even do miracles, you know, just us reuniting like that is just, you know, anything's possible with God. Now he doesn't do everything we want him to do. Right. We know that, Mm -hmm. but the idea that anything is possible and that he is a redeemer and that he can redeem and that he can, well, let me say it like this and that he does tell the best stories um, is, uh, is, is something that, uh, made me want to tell a little bit more and said, you know, what? I need to get serious about this <laughs> because I think people are being impacted. You read a lot in the book about the feelings of being rejected, uh, rejected by uh, other people, rejected by yourself, rejected by God. What are some of the misconceptions you found that people have about rejection? A mentor of mine said people leave the faith for two reasons, and both of them have to do with unmet expectations. Either we make a promise for God that he can't keep, mm-hmm. you know, or we think something about God that he is not. And therefore, he does not meet our expectations. And we feel rejected, right? Or, or we feel a certain way or we feel like God doesn't love me. He's not for me. If he was and this would happen. And he said he was going to heal me. 
you know, and he said, and he didn't heal me or he said he was going to provide and, and this didn't happen the way I thought it would. Um, and so, you know, I think a, a large part of faith for me, the deeper I go into it, e- even theologically, as I, you know, as I do more deeper theological studies, as we get ready to pastor and I preach and do some other things, you know, the more you get comfortable with the idea of not knowing everything about God, because the deeper you go in learning about God, the more you discover you don't know about God. And the more you discover you may never know about God. And the more you discover that your assumptions about God were probably off. And so for me, if I ever feel rejected by God, especially, then I try not to assign that blame to him because I know that he's not a rejecter. He is a, you know, he's, he loves us. He's our father. You know, he's our, you know, you can go on a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, you know what I'm saying? So what's the alternative to all of this? So what, what is the, the right way to think about how God goes through us in our suffering? I love a, a theologian that said, I would rather go through this life with God than without him. Of course, it's going to be difficult, but would you rather go through it with God or would you not rather not have him in your life? Sure, he could solve everything now, but but he, but he doesn't. And, and, and but but he but he does give us the strength in the moment to make it through whatever we're going through. And that's the power that we're not alone. He's that he's with us in the imperfection if he does not perfect it. with Sam Collier. Make sure to check out his new book, A Greater Story. It's out now. You're listening to Goth Babe. The song is Moments Slash Tides. Okay, it's time for your feedback. Last week, for the question of the week, we were talking about the news that uh, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is getting rebooted as a dark, gritty drama series based on a fan trailer that was made last year. And I got us thinking about other old sitcoms that should be rebooted as gritty, dark dramas. Uh, you guys hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast, and you also messaged us on IG at Relevant Magazine. Here are a few of our favorites. There's some great ideas in here. I love that Eric's idea is basically what HBO is doing with Perry Mason, which is like a dark, gritty take on, you know, like a pretty tame detective show. His mm-hmm. idea is the Andy Griffith show, a show about a widowed single father who's a small town sheriff with a loose cannon deputy. And it could get dark pretty fast instead of dealing with pie theft and public drunkenness, which, by the way, there's a lot of alcoholism in Mayberry at the time. <laughs> well, like, it was that a was a primary job. It was a dry was county. Yeah, well, going back to our point, because you regulate something, it doesn't necessarily mean it goes away. But, you know, the the, the, the metaphor of, uh, of the Andy Griffith show. But um, uh, now he has to handle violence and, and, and drug use around town. I actually, 
I, I'm actually kind of here for a dark, gritty a- Andy Griffith. Though, it, like I said, it's not that much different than a lot of kind of gritty cop shows. You know how I, I, I mentioned I have TV on all the time? Yeah. Every night at post-dinner, I have on TV land, and there's about six Andy Griffith shows back-to-back. I watch the Andy Griffith show. Like, I love it. It's good. All right. Juan Libro said, given last (laughs) week's convo, the answer is obviously Alf. Sarcastic alien eating neighborhood cats, hiding with a reluctant family with domestic issues, hunted by cruel government entities, maybe entering into a Nephilim situation with the family's (laughs) college age daughter. There's a lot of dark stuff going on with the Alf. They they went dark and then went too dark. (laughs) I used to watch Alf. I loved that show. Alf has a conspiracy theory about his darkness, though. I got to find it again. Oh, like what? for real? Hey, yeah, Jamie, like, like it's, yeah, it's actually. I, fa- I found Alf on one of the streaming services and went and kind of revisited it because I grew up watching it too. It does not hold up. Does not hold up. <laughs> Camera pays ten ninety nine a month for Alf Tube. The only place you can watch Alf. Yeah. Oh my god. Alf talk. Alf. I'm, I'm starting Alf talk. All right. So Ben Stroop says, "Oh, this is good. Family Matters could definitely be a gritty reboot. Uh, Carl is a dirty cop." On <laughs> on the tape, and okay. that's why he can afford to have so many people in his Chicago house. Okay, but <laughs> Urkel, nice is, house. But yeah. Urkel is actually an undercover FBI agent gathering info on the Winslow family syndicate. Mother Winslow is the kingpin. Okay, but of, but of course, that's why Urkel has the money and tech to do all the things he does: the time machine, the cloning, the cool juice. It's all part of FBI funds to get the Chicago police corruption machine. Okay. This can also lend us some other Winslow questions. I think that would be crazy. <laughs> I mean, he keeps going. What what happened to Judy? Where did Rachel go? Why did her restaurant mysteriously burn? When Eddie gets roughed up by cops, is it because they know the truth about Carl? The whole oh show goodness. can basically be rewritten episodes, realizing that Urkel isn't a bumbling neighbor. He's it's just a role he plays to gather info on Carl, who under Mother Winslow's leadership is on the take and is a dirty cop. Well, that, you know, you know, there there's show. That's there it. is it. There is a theory that uh, that it, and again, I'm probably going to butcher. I read it a long time ago that Family Matters actually is a dark, gritty sitcom because it's a direct spinoff. This is what the theory claims of Die Hard that after the events of Die Hard, <laughs> because it's the same actor, right? Reginald Vell Johnson. You guys seen Die Hard, right? Yeah. I have not seen Die Hard. Okay. I'm just going to let you so guys know. Uh, Re- Reginald, Reginald Vell Johnson plays a police officer in LA at a very, he's at the wrong place at the wrong time. The Takatimi Towers when the night of the Christmas party when terrorists take over the building. And part of the plot of Die like a critical part of Die Hard, arguably one of the most underrated parts of the movie and the parts that holds up the best is Reginald Vell Johnson's character who is a local LA cop who has sent to death duty because he uh, was was in a violent interaction and he couldn't and, and he, I think I think in the plot of the film you it reveals that he accidentally shot some uh, an, an innocent person and he is no they've taken him off uh, off the force he's, he's on death duty because he's afraid to draw his gun ever again he feels so terrible but as we know in the last scene of Die Hard he pulls that trigger oh, wait, don't and, spoil and it takes for that, me I haven't seen oh. it 
But anyway, the so the theory has, the theory has, has been 30 it. years. If you haven't seen it now, it's the, it's the rap, Jamie. You're just over. Okay, it's but over. So, so the theory is something like this: that 10 years later, that uh, he he has relocated to Chicago, changed his name, but wants a fresh start on a fresh police force, and he just happens to to, to move in next to some you know bumbling kid. But if you watch Die Hard, which I did watch Die Hard again uh, this Christmas time, uh, and I did notice like. But not just is is Carl Winslow, not just is is Reginald Vell Johnson playing a police officer. Yeah. He's actually not that dissimilar from Carl Winslow. Yeah, it's Carl not Winslow. a it's it's not a an insane theory. Yeah, mm. there's so um, many of these. Like the David, uh, oh, oh sorry, David says Pee Wee Herman's Playhouse. Ooh. Which guys, mm. Pee Wee Herman's Playhouse. I have I was always a little freaked out by that show. I don't know about you guys, but it says wherein we realize that Pee Wee is running some sort of secret laboratory to create life from inanimate objects. That's inanimate. what he did. Inanimate. Oh, oh, sorry, I read it wrong. And the unholy things he does to the living to make it happen, like Franken, like Doctor Frankenstein meets the island of Doctor Moreau. Whoa. I used to watch Pee Wee Herman. And looking back, I'm like, that was a weird show. It was a weird yeah. show. Help, I'm stuck in a chair. So um, weird. Le- Leo, I like this one. Malcolm in the middle, but wait. The dad gets cancer and needs to make a lot of money quick. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I like it. Break it back. I've watched that. I, you know what? That sounds like the greatest idea for a TV show I've ever heard. I think that would be really, really good in the era of peak TV. I, I like Ross put a spin on it. How about something dark and gritty being rebooted as a sitcom? I like this twist. <laughs> I'm thinking Breaking Bad or Lost. Now that I think about it, Lost may have a gritty reboot of Gilligan's Island. It's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, last one. Uh, C- Christian uh, Jimselin. I can't pronounce it. It's a Nordic name. Uh, says... Webster, massive topics like adoption and multi-ethnic family dynamics has a lot of interesting points to discuss. That could that could hold up as a drama. Webster, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. My my, I I loved Webster, and if I remember very specifically, we were at dinner one night, and I was acting up, and my mom grounded me by taking away Webster. I couldn't watch Webster for a month. <laughs> That's how much I loved it. <laughs> And I was you like, can take most- Webster. Do not take my Jesus talk login. <laughs> do not take my Jesus talk login. What will I do? She knew I wasn't afraid of the spankings. She knew yeah. I wasn't afraid of that. She Webster would get me, and it did. That's All funny. right. There's a lot more where that came from. Go check out last week's feedback on our Twitter and Instagram. Okay, it's time for this week's editorial question of the week. Hey. All right. I mean, we're just gonna do what what Jesse just read a second ago. How about this week? Tell us a drama that should be remade. As a light, fun Friday night sitcom. This is going to be great. <laughs> like how I used to watch Dallas growing up with my mom. Like, how yeah. would we change Dallas to a sitcom? Yeah, sure. exactly. Or like, yeah. it, it's <laughs> it's funny because a lot of a lot of cop shows, you could be like, well, NYPD Blue. It's like, well, it's kind of just Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I think. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> but I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Yeah. Hit us up uh, on Twitter at Relevant Podcast, or you can message us on Instagram at Relevant Magazine. Well, thank you to The Belonging Co. for joining us. You can follow them on Instagram at The Belonging Co. Also, thanks to Sam Collier. Find out more about his book, A Greater Story, on his website and follow him on IG at Sam Collier. Well, on that note, we will wrap things up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Jamie Ivey. And I'm Derek Miner. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you next week. Have a good week, everyone. 
for listening to The Relevant Podcast. Check out our features, interviews, and news updates every day at relevantmagazine.com. And make sure to follow Relevant on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for the latest. For more great podcasts, check out our Relevant Podcast Network, featuring shows like Relevant Daily, Signs of Life, Unedited, and many more launching throughout the year. Changer, you're gonna scratch them all up. What are you doing? Relevant Podcast Network.